Hey guys, you are now listening to the Maranatha House Podcast. So today we're talking about prophecy first. So um, we're going to go back. We're going to reread a, a chapter that we've already read when we read First uh, Corinthians fourteen when we talked about the gift of tongues, um, because Paul has a nice lengthy discussion about both tongues and prophecy and how it uh, is meant to be practiced within a local church context. But um, I'm really excited about this teaching. I think that. Prophecy is one of the gifts that I do see practiced in a lot of places. And actually, I think there's been a lot of places that have learned to do it really well and honorably. And so, um, but I think every church is called to prophesy, as we can see from Paul's writing, and we'll see that later. Um, And I want our church and each one of you to become comfortable, well, not really, comfortable is probably not the best word, but to become confident in your ability to hear from the Lord on behalf of somebody else or to take a revelation that the Lord gives to you and interpret it for a person. Um, So, um, let's see. There's been a lot of abuses of prophecy in the past and that I know is a big hurdle for a lot of people. Um, There's a lot of manipulation uh, that's been used in prophecy of prophetic words being given to kind of keep people at bay, if you will. I've seen it, and it's not good. And that's a misabuse of the gift because it completely ignores the uh, context of First Corinthians. It's not a misabuse, it's just an abuse. Sorry, I meant misuse. <laughs> misuse. Nice, nice middle generic. Thank you. Yeah, thank you for correcting that. Yeah. It is a misuse and an abuse, not a misabuse. That's a weird word. Are you going to say something, Josh? I was just going to say, like, the coming to, when we moved from here to Richmond, um, like, hearing you and Ronnie, like, prophesy around you guys the first couple weeks we were here, and like, I feel like the Lord is saying, next mm-hmm. slide, like, phrasing in that way, like, really kind of, it's one of the things that we heard about in our last church was, thus say the Lord. Mm. And it was always like, yep. this is gospel. Right. And, like, nine. I will say, like, nine times out of ten, it wasn't until, like, half the time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Thing. But I guess that goes with what Kenny said. Yeah. Yeah, that, I think the misuse of the gifts is people who are taking the gifts and not reading First Corinthians 13 before they read chapter 14. What's 13 about, Cam? First Corinthians 13. <laughs> First Corinthians 13? Uh uh-uh. uh. What does Savannah always say? I don't the gifts. You were the. I just remember you told me. Uh, it's the love chapter. Oh yes. Paul Paul talks about the spiritual gifts in chapter twelve, yeah. and then chapter thirteen he says, you know, this is the the more excellent way is love. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love endures all things. You know, go through that. Read that. Become that. You know. Then you know, as you do that, desire spiritual gifts. There's a, I have not love, I am but a clanging gong. Mm-hmm. Um, 
So, but it's important for us to learn how to prophesy because this gift was given to the church from the Father so that we could mature as people. And um, it's also a gift because, like, we have the written word of God, which is awesome. But sometimes prophecy comes in and speaks directly to your situation and directly to where you are in a way that maybe you couldn't, you know, you could find in Scripture, right? But it's, it's way more contextualized for you. It feels like a direct word from the Lord. And that is the power of prophecy. We're going to talk about that more because I know people get kind of shaky on that stuff. But um, So throughout the teaching, I'm going to teach you what exactly prophecy is for us as New Testament believers. Um, yeah, can I yeah, yeah, yeah. Prophecy in its proper uh-huh. way is a whole lot better than somebody says, Lord, I need a new job. So they open the Bible. Yeah, right. Know, and, and read a verse and says, they ought to be a horse trainer or something. Yeah, yeah. right. <laughs> <laughs> That's exactly right. Prophecy is a much better way of hearing from the Lord other than just opening your Bible to a random page. Um, we're going to talk briefly, I don't want to go too deep into this, but I think it is important to talk briefly about some continuationist versus cessationist arguments, meaning continuation is that you believe that the gifts are still for today, and cessationism is usually most of the gifts have ceased or have slowed down uh, to a vast measure. And I just want to make us aware of those arguments um, so that we know what other people believe. Um, and then we're also going to talk about um, the importance of being trained in prophecy. I know so many that would look at prophecy and it's like a gift that you either have it or you don't, you know, because it's, it's a revelation from the Lord. And that is not true. Uh, we'll talk about that. Um, and then lastly, we'll talk about how to, one, give a prophetic word and then how to receive a prophetic word. Um, so it's going to be fun. Let's pray. Um, Father, we just love you. We thank you. I just ask that you would teach us all about prophecy, that we would be a house that stewards the gift that you give and stewards it well in a way that's honoring to you and in a way that builds up and edifies your church. So we love you. We honor you. In Jesus' name, everybody said, amen. 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 All right, we're going to read 1 Corinthians 14. We're going to read the whole thing. Um, Let's see. Let's do four people read ten verses each. Who wants to read? Four verses. First Corinthians fourteen, the whole chapter. All right, Josh one through ten, Cam eleven through twenty, Erica twenty one through thirty, Angel thirty one through forty. Look at that. One more time, just for the people. For the people in the back. First Corinthians fourteen. <laughs> And angel, you are chapter thirty or verse thirty-one through forty. Cool. All right, Josh. Whenever you're ready. Follow the way of love and eagerly desire the gifts of the spirit, especially prophecy. For anyone who speaks in a tongue does not speak to the people, but to God. Indeed, no one understands them. They utter mysteries by the Spirit. But the one who prophesies speaks to the people for their strengthening, encouraging, and comfort. Anyone who speaks in a tongue edifies themselves. But the one who prophesies edifies the church. I would like e- 
each of you, each one of you, to speak in tongues. But I would rather each one of you have you prophesy. The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues, unless someone interprets, so that the church may be edified. Now, brothers and sisters, if I come to you and speak in tongues, what good will I be to you? Unless I bring to you some revelation or knowledge or prophecy or word of instruction. Even the case of, case of lifeless things that make sounds such as a pipe or harp, how will anyone know what time is being okay? It's being played unless there is no distinction in the notes. Again, if the trumpet does not sound a clear call, who will be ready for battle? So it is with you, unless you speak intellig intelligible words with your tongue. How will anyone know what you are saying? You will just be speaking into the air. Undoubtedly, there are all sorts of languages in the world, yet none of them is without a command. We going to carry on? Yep. Yep, just keep on rolling. But if I do not know the meaning of the language, I will be a foreigner to the speaker, and the speaker a foreigner to me. So with yourselves, since you are eager for manifestations of the Spirit, strive to excel in building up the church. Therefore, one who speaks in a tongue should pray that he may interpret. For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. What am I to do? I will pray with my spirit, but I will pray with my mind also. I will sing praise with my spirit, but I will sing with my mind also. Otherwise, if you give thanks with your spirit, how can anyone in the position of an outsider say amen to your thanksgiving when he does not know what you are saying? For you may be giving thanks well enough, but the other person is not being built up. I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you. Nevertheless, in church, I would rather speak five words with my mind in order to instruct others than ten thousand words in a tongue. Brothers, do not be children in your thinking. Be infants in evil, but in your thinking be mature. In the law it is written, By people of strange tongues, and by the lips of foreigners, I will speak to this people, and even then they will not listen to me, says the Lord. Thus, tongues are a sign not for believers, but for unbelievers, while prophecy is a sign not for unbelievers, but for believers. If, therefore, the whole church comes together, and all speak in tongues, and the outsiders or unbelievers enter, will they not say that you are out of your minds? But if all prophesy and an unbeliever or an outsider enters he, can, he is convinced by all he is called to account by all the secrets of his heart are disposed and so falling on his face you worship god and declare that god is really among you what then brothers when you come together each one has a hymn a lesson a revelation a tongue or an interpretation let all things be done for building up if any speak in a tongue let there be only two or at most three and each in turn, and let someone interpret. But if there is no one to interpret, let each of them keep silent in church and speak to himself and to God. Let two or three prophets speak, and let the others weigh what is said. If a revelation is made to another sitting there, let the first be silent. You too. For you can all prophesy in turn so that everyone may be instructed and encouraged. The spirit of prophets are subject to control of to the control of prophets. For God is not a God of disorder, but of peace, as in all congregations of the Lord's people. 
Women should remain silent in the churches. They are not allowed to speak, but must be in submission as the law says. If they want to inquire about something, they should ask their husbands at home, for it is disgraceful for a woman to speak in the church. Or did the word of God originate with you? Or, or are you the only people it has reached? For if anyone thinks that they are a prophet or otherwise, otherwise gifted by the Spirit, let them acknowledge what I am writing to you the Lord, is the Lord's command. But if anyone ignores this, they will themselves be ignored. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, be eager to prophesy and do not forbid speaking in tongues, but everything should be done in a fitting and orderly way. Cool. Y'all all right. With those verses, huh? <laughs> <laughs> yep. We're all judging you. Um, that's right should have hopped on it earlier so what uh what what stands out to you guys specifically about prophecy in these this section of verses this is the orderliness chapter yes (laughs) one thing that's really interesting to me is it says that prophesying is not for unbelievers but for those who believe Mm -hmm. and I feel like I've been praying to get prophetic words for, like, unbelievers out on the streets to give them, like, a, like a specific word from the Lord. Right. So I'm just noticing this now. Well, I, I think there's a, a portion of that just because, like, with the, like, the act of, like, tongues, like, it's supposed to be this, like, supernatural revelation. So you have that revelation come through that, like, that is what that prophetic word would be like an association. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas the prophecy, what he's talking about here, is at least in the way that I interpret it, is it's for the, the people within it. That's why he also talks about um, in verse 5, he says, The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues unless someone interprets it so that the church, it, the church may be edified. So it's like a prophetic word for the body. Yes. Right. And right. so, if you're not a believer, it doesn't really apply to you. Right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. It's not like a word of knowledge. Like, what about yeah, I mean, <laughs> there's so many people, in, even in the book of Acts, that get words of knowledge or prophetic yeah. words from the Lord for others. Yeah. So, this is just talking about the context of being mm-hmm. in a church meeting. Got so, it. that's why it's important to read context for everything that's talked about in this chapter. Because mm-hmm. there's just things that were going on back then in that time mm-hmm. that... He doesn't explain because it was understood at that time. So, um, what else stands out to you guys about prophecy here? There's the there's the one verse where he says that greater is the one that prophesies than the one that speaks in tongues. Uh-huh. But I feel like in another verse it says that you shouldn't be. I mean, like the tongue or the the um, gifts are equal, and you shouldn't be jealous in a way. Hmm. So I'm like, See if that's a verse. Well, it's. I'll find it. But yeah, just find because I I don't know if it's worded it's, that he way. Said that the hand isn't jealous about. Uh, or, that's or, true. Or, yeah. So here's here's what that word greater means actually in context is like greater in rank, with priorities again, like we talked about last week with discipleship. Mm-hmm. It's about priorities. So he's saying that the one who prophesies is the the in greater rank or is a higher priority than the one who speaks in tongues. And it's because prophecy is for the building up, the edification of the church. Tongues, outside of the presence of an interpreter, edifies only the individual speaking. So that, that's really what that means, is that 
and he makes the case all throughout this chapter is that prophesy, seek to, or eagerly desire to prophesy. Paul says, uh, I wish you all would speak in tongues as much as I do, um, but even more that you would prophesy. Yeah. It's because prophecy is like the heart of the gifts. There's a big part of the gifts that, what are the gifts for in general? building up and the edification of the church. So it's, it's, it's a gift that the Lord's given us to help us mature as, as believers. And so prophecy is a huge part of that. What else y'all see about prophecy here? Um, I feel like, so when you speak in tongues, it's not like your mind is like fully involved in what is happening or understanding what is happening. Mm-hmm. But in prophecy, it sounds like your mind is like fully engaged yes. in understanding. Yeah, that's a huge point. Yeah, so when you speak in tongues, it's not like your mind gets taken over. Yeah. It's just that your mind doesn't understand what your mouth is speaking, right? Yeah. And so that's why Paul says, what shall I do then? Uh, I will pray with, in my spirit, but then I'll pray with my mind. So Paul has a huge, uh, he's making a big case for the fact that we should never lose control of our minds or our bodies in a way that is uh, unhealthy, that we are supposed to use our spirit and our minds in tandem. So um, when it comes to, to prophecy, what, what was your question again? Because I started, but you brought up... I said that I it sounds blanked. like prophecy, your mind is like fully involved. That's right, yes, that was the part. He'd rather speak with his mind than yeah. his body. Prophecy is not a thing of the Holy Spirit took over. I had a divine revelation and I like That's couldn't so control. Like, there are moments when you have a vision potentially or a trance or the Lord gives you a revelation that you can't control the revelation you're receiving. But you should be able to maintain your mind and your, your uh, body in that moment, if that makes sense. Yeah, God's not going to puppet master you. That's right. That's right. Uh, like verse Master. Here. Master. Uh, verse 14 real quick just kind of go off what you're saying but if I pray in a tongue my spirit prays but my mind is unfruitful mm-hmm. Unfa- yeah unfruitful yep <clears throat> what else do y'all see about prophecy Oh, no, it's okay. Uh, uh, it talks about prophesying to an unbeliever. Uh-huh. Right after, I just didn't really read it further down. Yeah, it's okay. The secrets of his heart are revealed, and so falling on his face, he'll worship God and report that God is truly among you. Yep. Yeah. Isn't that cool? Yeah. I, I like you know, the verse before, the two verses before it says, If therefore the whole church comes together and speaks in tongues, and like an outsider or unbeliever enters, will they not say you're all out of your minds? Right. And it's just funny, like, I know a lot of us grew up in, like, very, like, evangelical, like, Pentecostal churches, mm-hmm. and it's, like, those things would happen. Yeah. And, like, guests would be really freaked out. Yeah. And, like, our pastor at the time would always, like, take a break and explain what was happening. Right. Um, and, I mean, I mean, I would still be freaked out, but if I didn't know what was going on. Yeah, it's helpful that they explained. But it can be very, like, off-putting for somebody who has no idea what's going on. Or yeah. even if, like, you're new in the faith and, like, 
you've never experienced that before, and all of a sudden people are like shouting. Yeah. So I do actually really like that Paul's like people are gonna think you're nuts because he's not. He's not just like going. People are gonna think you're nuts. He's going. Look at what they did when this spirit fell on us in Jerusalem. Yeah. yeah. And y'all were speaking in tongues that like people could understand, and they still thought you were drunk. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Right. Like, <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. That's um. That's a big deal. Is that uh. Man, I feel like I'm just blanking a lot today. That's a good word. Good job, guys. <laughs> you settled it yourselves. <laughs> a person who's uh, uncertain about something, mm-hmm. maybe changing jobs or getting married <clears throat> or moving to a different city or something like that, uh, that someone who prophesies yeah. over them can... Um, settle that uncertainty. Yeah. You know, the double-minded man yes. is unstable, unstable in all his ways. Way. And that can take the double-mindedness away. Kind of like with Timothy. They yeah. prophesied over Timothy. Mm-hmm. Apparently, Timothy was a little insecure mm-hmm. in something. Right. You know, right. In what, you know, God wanted him to Might have been know, his age. go to go at it, you yeah. know. And, yep. And he, and he needed that prophecy to push courage mm-hmm. and build up mm-hmm. yep that's so good yeah so i'm just going to shotgun some of these verses that i thought were really interesting so well, oh go ahead go ahead this is a thing that i i appreciate that we see scripturally and that idh the, the identity network mm-hmm. was always pro- practice is verses 27 and 29 where tongues and yeah. prophecy are both limited to about three yeah which is a thing that we like actually do when we're praying for people right and right i've seen ronnie do when he was still leading the the whole group of the church yeah. that's when we were all one yep. body in his yep. house yeah um i think like two like things like in all the some one of some of the things what angel read Verse 31, for you can all prophesy in turn so that everyone may be instructed and encouraged. So the word of God says that everyone is to prophesy. Mm-hmm. No excuses. Yep. But um, one of the things that's really interesting to juxtapose that point is verse 38. But if anyone ignores this, they will themselves will be ignored. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oof. If someone ignores what? So uh, verse 38 says, but if anyone ignores this, they themselves will be ignored. Like the instructions of the orderliness. Yeah. Right. Mm. Yep. Yeah, God is a God of order. He's yeah. not calling us to be uh, <clears throat> doing things all willy-nilly. Right. He's given us these amazing gifts, and he's also given us the faculties to steward it well. Yeah. I've heard a lot of arguments. I'm This is mainly talking on Cam's point of let two or three, you know, speak in tongues or prophesy. It's so easy to just say, I mean, what's an extra prophetic word? You know, what's wrong with that? Uh, I don't, I grew up in Pentecostal church and I went through a fire tunnel one time. Fire tunnels where you go through the fire tunnel and there's people on either side and they pray over you and prophesy. I actually had a lot of really good words that were spoken over me, but I had like eight people prophesy over me. Right. (laughs) That's the point. Like they may have all been good words. They may have all had good hearts about it. I couldn't remember all those words. Like and and then it's like, you know, what if each person's prophesying a good thing? Now you got you're pulled in eight different directions unless 
the Spirit is manifested in a unified way where all of them are speaking. But that's assuming that everybody prophesies correctly, and there's going to be people that miss it. And that's not, you know, I'm not worried about people missing it, but it puts a lot of burden on the hearer. And so this is God's way of saying, let's keep this orderly, you know, let's keep it simple. Two to three prophets speak, and then, like, hopefully those words unify that where they become like one big word mm-hmm. with just a couple different faces um <clears throat> but he's not trying to confuse the person yeah. i think it's important too like i just from my experience like you can have a prophetic word for the body and you can have a prophetic word for like somebody uh-huh. and like maybe save that one for somebody for yeah. like a private setting like, yeah it doesn't have to be like you don't have to spill somebody's junk like if god reveals something about their life that's going on that's right like that might not be like like a word of knowledge like that that's right like that might not be a here situation that might be a hey can you come with me over here can we just talk for like a second yeah so i think that could also like attribute to like the orderliness yes 100 percent. 100 percent. yeah and that creates way more uh, opportunity for the person to actually receive it well yeah rather than yeah, or like super or vulnerable, like mm-hmm. you don't know who's here, like, I don't know. Yeah. 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 It's good stuff. So, a couple of verses that I felt like stood out to me. Um, verse 1, Paul says, um, to pursue love and desire spiritual gifts, but especially that you would prophesy. And uh, he's basically telling us to, like, seek after love and then burn with zeal for the gifts. That's what that word for desire means. To burn with zeal. How many of you feel like you burn with zeal for the gifts? <laughs> Me too, sometimes. Uh, hi. So, burning with zeal. <clears throat> I, I don't feel that all the time when it comes to the gifts. I don't feel like I'm waking up in the morning burning with zeal. You know, or like... It's the first thing on my mind when I wake up and the last thing on my mind before I go to bed. And that's what Paul's encouraging us to do. Um, And especially that we would prophesy. So prophecy is a big deal. Um, Verse 3 talks about what prophecy is for. So it says that prophecy, uh, he who prophesies speaks edification, exhortation, and comfort to men. Really interesting there because Old Testament prophecy was those three things, but also judgment. Paul is very well aware of the Old Testament, you know, he knows it. He was well studied. Right. So there is a reason that he left out the judgment portion because the practice of New Testament prophecy is much less about judgment, prophetic words, and way more about edification, encouragement, exhortation, and comfort to the body of Christ, the building up of the believers. Mm. Verse 5, Paul says, I wish you all spoke with tongues, but even more, I wish that you all prophesied. I think that's so cool. Like, Paul, there's a lot of people that argue about, can everyone speak in tongues? And, you know, can everyone prophesy? I think everyone can. Will everyone? No. I'm not saying they will, but I think everyone can. I don't think it's an issue on God's end. It's more of an issue on our end. Because Paul wouldn't tell us that he desires for all of us to speak in tongues and desires for all of us to prophesy 
if we weren't able to, if there was like a thing that said only some people get this. So it's that um, feeling inside you. Need to, I should say this. Yeah. <laughs> no, 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 I'm not going to say this. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Um. Couple other verses. Verse twelve is another verse where Paul talks about being zealous. So, even so, since you are zealous for spiritual gifts, I love that. It's jealous with determination. <laughs> That's kind of how I view the word zealous. Um, a determined jealousy. Since you are zealous for the spiritual gifts, let it be for the edification of the church that you seek to excel. Meaning, don't just seek out the gifts. For your own good or to make yourself feel smart or feel more powerful uh, and this speaks to a lot of the misuse and the abuse of the gifts in the church across the world today is that there's a lot of people who seek the gifts for a purpose outside of what they were intended for and the purpose of the gifts is uh, for the edification of the church and so that's what I want to encourage each one of us to do, whether it be tongues, whether it be uh, prophecy, whether it be words of knowledge or gifts of faith, gifts of healing, gifts of miracles, whatever the, the gift is that we feel called to pursue and pray for, that we would pray for it so that we can edify the body. So that we can walk out love in a deeper fashion. Um. Verse 24 and 25, I wrote down here, says, But if all prophesy and an unbeliever or an uninformed person comes in, he is convinced by all, uh, and thus the secrets of his heart are revealed. And so falling down on his face, he will worship God and report that God is truly among you. I've seen stuff like this happen. I've seen like people who are like, eh, they're not really on board with God, they're not really Christians, or maybe they are Christians, but they're not... They don't believe that he still speaks for today. And I've seen somebody go up to them and say, hey, I had a friend one time who, uh, I'm trying to remember, I don't know if I remember the exact prophetic word, but we were at a youth conference. And he was kind of teetering on like where he was in the faith. And the guy who was speaking was like a renowned like prophet. And he uh, was walking around on stage and he kept looking at this guy like in the crowd. And there's like, three, four hundred kids there. He kept looking at my buddy and he finally called him up and told him to stand up. And so my buddy did. And he was like, you are like, a, he said something about you're a soccer player. You like have dreams of playing soccer for like the rest of your life. And my buddy was a huge soccer player. Didn't know this guy from Adam. And then like, he brought up a couple things about certain injuries that he had had. And it was just like, Whoa. I mean, I'm sitting there watching this for my buddy who's like on the fence with the whole God thing and he's just like getting these words where God's reading his mail, you know, and reading off all these things through this prophet and it convinced him. I mean, that would convince me, you know, if I got a word and somebody's like, yeah, last week you were in your kitchen and you were complaining to your wife about the bills. And I'm like, did you talk to him? You know, <laughs> I've heard there's a, uh, a pastor I really love is Sam Storms, who used to be a cessationist and now is a continuationist. And uh, he talked about the first time he got a prophetic word and he like listened to it all. He just kind of took it in and then he went home and checked his house for bugs. <laughs> to see if his house, he was like, 
that he would have never been able to know that. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's a, a huge benefit of prophecy. Were you going to say something? I was going to say that a very similar thing <coughs> happened to me where I was like, I was like starting yeah. to rebel. Yeah. And, but I did love the Lord. I just was like going down a bad path. And I went to one of those prophetic nights on a whim, really. And the pastor talked to like five people and he was like, okay, y'all can go sit down. And then he looked at me and he was like, you. And I was like, what? And he was like, on Tuesday, you said something very unkind about somebody, but you instantly regretted it. And the Lord wants me to tell you that he heard your prayer and that he's going to help you with your sharp tongue. And it literally happened just like that. Like on Tuesday, I was at a basketball game and I said something very like judgmental to Mm -hmm. somebody. And I was like, dang, I suck. Why am I such a terrible person? I really want to change. And honestly, that's when I feel like the Lord started changing my heart. I was kind of a bully, like, in a way. I was super passive-aggressive, and it just was unkind. But I feel like at that moment, it's, like, what changed my heart. Yeah. So it yeah. meant the world to me. Because I hadn't really seen prophecies specifically for people. Yeah. It was, like, for the body only. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so it's not just for unbelievers. It's for believers, too. Yeah. Prophecy is a revelation from the Lord that is divine revelation. Could have only been revealed in a divine way. Um, and that's the power of it. Um, so I've got, I, I've got a definition that I, I'm using from Sam Storms um, for what prophecy is. And he, he says that I would define prophecy as the speaking forth in merely human words, something that the Holy Spirit has sovereignly and spontaneously revealed to a believer. I'll say that again, that prophecy is the speaking forth in merely human words something that the Holy Spirit has sovereignly and spontaneously revealed to a believer? So, oh, go ahead. It, it, it doesn't necessarily have to be dramatic. Right. You know, thus saith the Lord. That's right. You know, yep. can we, you know, uh, I'm getting a strong impression. Yeah, you know, Cam? I have a yep. feeling that. Yeah. Yeah, we're going to talk a little bit about some etiquette when it comes to prophecy. Just in a few minutes, but um, yeah. So the prophecy. There's three main parts to pro- a prophetic encounter of sorts. So the first thing is the revelation, and the revelation is given by God, right? So you may get an impression in your heart or a picture in your head. I've heard of people seeing a word in their head or uh, seeing like a color or something flash across their mind. That's the revelation. That's God's part. God's part is always perfect. God doesn't do anything imperfectly. Right? So his part is perfect. Then there's two other parts, which is the, uh, the interpretation and then the application. The interpretation and the application is what falls on us as believers. So say you're the one that gets the revelation. You're praying and or we're in worship and all of a sudden you get a strong sense that the Lord wants to do a certain thing. And how do you know it's the Lord? Well, one, it wasn't something that you were thinking of. It just kind of flashed in your mind. Um, A lot of times it's something that you wouldn't normally think of, something outside of your normal realm of thought. Um, We'll talk more about that in a little bit. But um, that's you then have the uh, opportunity to interpret what you saw. And so that's why I say interpret it by use the phrasing of I'm getting a strong impression or I have a feeling that the Lord is speaking this to you. Because 1 Corinthians 13 talks about 
how uh, we prophesy in part, we speak in part, we see in part, but when the perfect comes, we will see fully. And so when it comes to prophecy, we have to know all of us only gets partial uh, understanding of the word. There will never be a prophetic word that we get that we feel is 100% accurate. You know, um, and that's why we need to remain humble and uh, trust the Lord in it. Because I can get the revelation, the revelation can be given to me, but my interpretation can be off. And so I interpret it how I feel the Lord is uh, leading me to interpret it. And then it's on the per- the hearer. Uh, it's their responsibility to test the word and to apply it in the proper way. Right, so um, we'll talk a little bit more about that, but that's I just want that to stick in your head about what prophecy is. One is revelation, two, it's uh, interpretation, and three, it's application. Three parts to a word. Um, prophecy is all throughout scripture, right? And but we are today, us believers, are living in a very unique time where the story of the Bible has led to the point where. God has fulfilled a promise that was promised throughout the Old Testament, which was that everyone would be able to prophesy. Everyone would have the Spirit upon them and in them. There's a really cool story in Numbers chapter 11 where uh, Moses gathers 70 elders and the Lord tells them to bring them together, bring them to the tabernacle, and the Lord promises that he's going to put his Spirit upon them. Just like the Spirit was upon Moses, which is really cool that Moses was... Uh, had the Spirit upon him, even in the Old Testament. Um, but he promises that the Spirit will come down to these 70 elders as they pray, and he does. And the 70 elders begin to prophesy. And there's a really, it's a cool story, because there's two guys who were part of the elders who actually didn't show up. I don't know why. I don't know if they just woke up late, or they just... They just doing it in the camp. Yeah, so they're, they're back in the camp, not at the tabernacle, but because they're part of the eldership, the Spirit falls on them too. And so they start prophesying in the camp. And Joshua, so at that time, Moses was the the mediator, the prophet, the apostle. He was everything to them. And so Joshua's like super loyal to Moses. And he goes to Moses and he's like, you got to stop these guys. They're just out here prophesying in camp. Who do they think they are? You're the one. And Moses says in uh, Numbers 11, uh, verse 29, Moses says to him, are you zealous for my sake? Oh, that all the Lord's people were prophets, that the Lord would put his spirit upon them. I think that's so cool that even Moses saw the necessity of everyone having the the burden of the Holy Spirit on them and the power and the the responsibility that comes with it. Um, Well, the context for Moses, too, is one guy leading this whole tribe. So 70 is actually like... You need more help. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then I was going to pull up uh, Joel chapter 2. Um, I think everybody probably knows it, but I want to read it. That's like, it's, the, it's the passage that Peter quotes yes. in relation to Acts. Uh-huh. Yep. Um, Joel chapter 2, verse uh, 28 and 29 says, and it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. So, boys and girls, meaning everybody. Everybody's going to prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams. Your young men shall see visions. 
Even on the male and female servants in those days, I will pour out my spirit. So it's not just for the people of the, the wealthy families or the powerful or the ones who are part of the community. It's for the servants as well. It's for all. Go ahead, Josh. All right. So repeat that, repeat that verse again. Okay. Uh, it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. So sons and daughters. Uh-huh. So daughters. Uh-huh. That means that the, according to that verse that women could also yes. prophesy. Yes. So then how does that counter, how does that juxtapose versus 30, 34 in four. here? Women should remain silent in churches. They are not allowed to speak, but in submission, as the law says... If they want to inquire about something, they should ask their husband to come. It is disgraceful for a woman to speak in a church. There's a lot of uh, context there. That okay. That's one of those verses that's uh, understood context of the day that is not written about. And so we don't know. But if you look at the context, is that uh, it was something about the Greeks, the way they... Uh, came together in groups that women uh, were most of the time not educated. Yeah. Most of the time didn't have a education. And so men were the ones who had education. And so in a, a normal Greek public setting, women were to remain silent. You're just supposed to listen. You're supposed to listen. And then it was supposed to go to your husband afterwards if you have questions uh, because they wanted the educated people to speak. Okay, so, so, what basically the long and short of it is, yeah. women are definitely called to prophesy so, and speak in, in all the gifts. So this context in the is Corinthian, for, in the Corinthian context specifically is where this matters, right? Okay. So specifically for the Corinthians, is it like something that's like speaking to like them in this moment of yeah. time, whereas yeah. the Joel is like referencing to like all time, right? Yes. Joel, Joel is yes. the promise of the Holy Spirit for all. All flesh. And that was God's intention and purpose, that His Spirit would be poured on all flesh. Um, it's, it's also a reminder to the Corinthian church because they need the orderliness. They have a bad habit of not being orderly. Right. So like, yeah. I knew that. Yeah. So. I think I looked up that word speak mm -hmm. also in the Greek, uh -huh. right? Yep. And it's actually talk, judge, or cause disruption. Right. So it's not just like them sharing what's on their heart. Right. It's like they were. Weren't they, like, sitting even separately and, like, honey, what does that mean? Or can you tell yeah, I them think, this and this? Yeah, uh, I in, in that day, um, I need to research this stuff again. Yeah. And we probably will talk about this because I think it's a big deal. Like, this is a huge misunderstanding in the church. Yeah. Um, but in that time, I've heard that there were the women sat on one side of the church and the men sat on the other side. Well, that's how the Jewish synagogue was set up as well. Okay, so, yeah, so if women were going to ask their husbands a question... It'd be like me yelling over to Monica while we're in the middle of worship. Hey, Mo, Mo, is is this scriptural, what, what we're singing? Because I, I, I don't think I've seen it. I, I think I, it was, you know, it, it's disruptive. So there's just way more stuff going on behind the scenes. Well, and I think that kind of fits into the context of what this chapter is about, because he's talking about only two to three like prophecies like right. we're doing things orderly right. we're not doing this to be dysfunctional we're doing that's this right. to like do a certain thing in a certain way that's right so it makes way more sense that that it was a conduct orderliness issue rather than a women can't speak yeah. issue right. yep yeah and the uh, corinthian church wasn't exactly the model 
Sure. sure. Yeah. <laughs> what? Yeah, there was yeah. all sorts of incest. Yeah. <laughs> in- incest and sex? Or yeah. Corinthian girls had a reputation. <laughs> 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 that's, that's hilarious. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Probably just better off you stay quiet. Yeah. I can't think of the man's name. He was a prophet. I'm not sure whether it was Jephthah, but he had five daughters that uh-huh. prophesied uh-huh. in the Old Testament. Yeah. Yep. That? I think I do. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the, the whole women in ministry argument, I don't want to go too far off on a tangent because we're already going super late and I got a lot to go through. Um, but it is so misunderstood. So taken out of context. I mean, the New Testament is filled with women leading in churches, uh, leading ministries, um, who are uh, prophetic, who are walking in the gifts of the Spirit, and who Paul recognizes. I mean, it, it's just, and it's all over the Old Testament. So you really need to do your research well, when it comes to. And that's the things with the, like, the letters that Paul writes. Are two specific audiences. Yeah. They then get shared around, but I like we've pretty much lost out on the Corinthian context because we don't have a Corinthian That's right. context. That's right. Yeah. Where this is an issue. Yeah. Yep. So maybe one of these days, I think uh, before Ariel left, she really wanted us to go through a series on uh, women in ministry and what that looks like. And I want to do it. I'm not, I just we've had other things, but one of these days. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I could take you through some stuff. But, uh, all right, let's get back to this. So, here we go. Let's talk about the case for prophecy today, a.k.a. the argument of continuationist, continuationism versus cessationism. So, once again, continuationists believe the gifts continue. Cessationists, the gifts cease. To some extent. To some extent. Some believe they completely cease. Others believe they're, you know, just slow. They're, they're not that common anymore. Um, so here's a quote that I found online from a guy named Thomas Schreiner about the definition, how he would define cessationism. He says, so what do we mean by cessationism? We mean that the spirit no longer sovereignly gives individual believers the miraculous spiritual gifts that are listed in scripture and that were present in the first century church. It is neither the spirit's plan nor his normal pattern to distribute miraculous gifts to Christians and churches today as he did in the times of the apostles. Those gifts have ceased as normative with the apostles. So, um, here's one of the first arguments that most cessationists use, is 1 Corinthians 13, when it talks about uh, when the perfect comes, that prophecy and tongues shall cease. And so, uh, what they would say that context is for the perfect, uh, they would say is the formation of Scripture. Or the canon of the Bible. We've got a canon now. We don't need extra. Right. They would say, we've got the Bible, the written word of God. It's sufficient, meaning that it has everything we need. So what is the purpose of prophetic speech if we have everything here? Like, why would I need a prophetic word when I could just go find it in Scripture? And um, so, but even this guy, Tom Schreiner, who's a cessationist, says that the, his, the way people uh, translate that verse and come out with the perfect being the Bible is a misunderstanding. He says that the perfect is way more, in context when you read that passage, it's talking about seeing God face to face. Yeah, and, and I see it in a mirror, then you see face to face. 
Right. And it's, it's a reference to the second coming right. of Jesus. And so this is why eschatology matters, you know, because uh, if you believe that Jesus already came back in 70 AD a second time, then, you know, then you'll believe that the gifts have ceased, sure. you know. But if you still believe that he hasn't returned yet and he's coming back soon, then you know that the gifts are still for today. That's the, the best that's the best scripture we have as to when the gifts will cease is when the perfect comes. And we haven't seen Jesus yet. And I don't want to argue that like the Bible is imperfect because you know obviously the Bible is like the right, Bible. Right. But like it's written in an ancient language that has been like translated yeah. multiple times. Yeah. So like we have to understand context and we have to do research. So like, Yeah. Oh, to I, argue that the Bible is the perfect that has come, like the right. canon, is like right. I feel like it's sketchy at best. Yeah, yeah, I would agree. Uh, you know, because I believe Scripture is all sufficient. Yeah. You know, a hundred percent. You know, but uh, that is just not what the perfect is refer- being referred to as. The perfect is uh, seeing face to face. When I look at my Bible, I don't see God face to face. So, that's that. Um, number two. Here's the other. Uh, Actually, so, sorry, to just end that point, is that Thomas Schreiner, a, a well-known cessationist scholar, he says that actually that verse is probably the best case for the gifts still being today. is because the gifts are, uh, will remain until we see Jesus face to face. Super cool. All right. Another argument is that the gifts and miracles were a sign that followed the apostles and Jesus simply to confirm their authority in their ministry. Um, they would say that the desire to see miracles and the necessity of signs is a lack of faith and a sign of an immature Christian or believer. Um, that's reference to the the, uh, uh, the Pharisees who demanded Jesus show them a sign and God, Jesus is like, you know, you, you can't even discern the times. Like, you, you ask for a sign, you wicked generation. Um, so, and there's a lot of scripture that talks about the God confirming through his apostles and through Jesus, signs and miracles to confirm their ministry. So that is biblical. Go ahead. Uh, a point with that, because I, I had a conversation with my dad, um, who I think would identify mostly as a cessationist, mm-hmm. specifically about the office of apostle. Right. And why that doesn't necessarily get recognized now in some churches, uh-huh. which is that the, the office of apostle is either someone who has interacted directly with Christ, uh-huh. or... It's kind of a handed down thing, right? And if it's a handed down thing, we've lost it somewhere in the like in between <laughs> period of yeah. where we are now versus where we see the apostles deliberately doing things. Yeah, like that, sure. Which is it has to do with this argument yeah. specifically. Yeah, yeah. Um, so the they I I would say that cessationists are correct in saying that the gifts were. A, a way to confirm the ministry of the apostles. Sure. But it wasn't just that. And that's where I think this gets misunderstood because you look at the story of Jesus uh, healing Lazarus. It says that Jesus went and prayed for him because he was moved by compassion for him. Right. So it wasn't that he needed to be glorified or needed to confirm his ministry by healing and raising somebody from the dead. It was a characteristic, healing was a characteristic of his heart. Gifts, the spiritual gifts, are characteristic of the Father's heart towards his people. Right. He does not want us to be immature or ignorant. And so he gives us these gifts as a way to help us mature, to be edified, and to be comforted. Right? right. 
Um, and then also the the uh, miracles and the healings and all that stuff were a sign not just of the work of the apostles, but a sign of the kingdom of God coming close to man. And so, would you say that the kingdom of God is no longer coming close to man? What would I wouldn't argue that. What would they think about like Joel chapter two then? Like I'll pour out my spirit on like in the last in the last day, yeah. I'll pour out my spirit on all peoples. Like, so how they, would they justify that? They, We're not there yet. Yeah, they, well, they would say too that that would or was fulfilled in Acts. in the first century. So the first century it happened, and then it ended after the apostles that's passed what, away. Um, like, so I, I grew up Southern Baptist, and like that's what they believe. Mm-hmm. Is that they stopped uh, with one gun. Yeah, right. I feel like that's like a half-hearted, like, because it says, yeah, it goes on, like, and the moon will be turned to blood. Like, it right. does the whole thing. So yeah, like, yeah. Are you, yeah. I feel like you're only reading half of it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and this is, I, I, I want us to be aware of this stuff because we have a lot of cessationist brothers and sisters, and this isn't to say that everything they say is dumb or no. stupid, but it's, a, it's an, a conversation worth having so that we can hopefully uh, get to a common ground. Right. Um, because as a cont- continuationist myself, I want them to see that the gifts are good and for today. And I understand why they would say that it's not because I see where they're coming at Scripture, you know, what they're seeing in Scripture. Um, and I want to learn from them too, you know, in certain ways. So um, the biggest thing for me when it comes to the cessationist versus continuationist argument is there's no Scripture that outright says that the gifts will cease other than that one in First Corinthians 13. Um, and that one is clearly about the second return coming of Jesus. Or beholding God face to face. And that hasn't happened yet. And so, uh, I, I don't see how you can say that the gifts have ceased. Um, so, that's just my giving you information on the gifts so that you are aware, so that you can think about these things. Um, I do not want you to be uninformed, brethren, <laughs> as Paul would say. So, now let's talk about prophecy and training. So, I mentioned this earlier that some people would say that, well, you don't need to be trained in prophecy because if it's a divine revelation, you know, then you would just receive it and give it, right? Um, But I think that's just a fundamental misunderstanding of what the nature of prophecy is. Uh, Like I said, prophecy is revelation, interpretation, and application, we have to learn to hear the Father's voice, to communicate with Him mm-hmm. to a point where if I get a revelation from the Lord, that I can communicate with Him and ask Him questions and hear back so that He can clarify what the revelation is for so that I don't miss the interpretation. I can miss the interpretation. Um, so here, another good way of explaining this is uh, one of the gifts of the Spirit is teaching, right? So when we talk about the gift of teaching, we wouldn't tell someone who's going to be a teacher to not study, not go to school, you know, because, well, it's, it's the gift from the Holy Spirit of teaching. So you should just have it. Right, right. Somebody saying, like, I'm called to be a pastor and they never take a public speaking course. That's right. They never learn how to, like, speak in front of a crowd. That's right, that's right. 
Uh, In fact, the closest I've ever even heard of that was where somebody asked the pastor what his quiet time looked like. Uh-huh. And he said, it looks completely different from all of my constituents because I'm doing this constantly. <laughs> right, right. It, it's not like a normal thing that like a roofer has where, you know, he gets up in the morning and he reads a passage yeah. and prays, whatever, like. I'm constantly studying, so I don't I don't have a specific time that I label that way because yeah, because I'm constantly kind of doing all this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, yeah, the fundamental misunderstanding is that with any spiritual gift, that when the Holy Spirit moves, that we lose control and the Spirit takes over and we have nothing to do with it. That's wrong, because God wants to work with people. We talked about this with the gift of tongues that. You know, you can't just sit there and say, Holy Spirit, come, give me the gift, and then not move your mouth. The Lord's not going to puppet you and make you speak. You have to speak. You have to take a step of faith. It's just like any other concept in the Bible. Do you get salvation just because the Lord comes in and gives you salvation or forces you to give it or receive it? No. You have to make a choice to believe, to follow, to obey. And so... there. Why we do something different with spiritual gifts is beyond me, uh, but it's just wrong. So when it comes to prophecy, um, we need to be trained. We have to find ways to teach people, um, to mentor people, and to, as if you're being taught, to be accountable. Um, I've mentioned this multiple times, like when it comes to first hearing from the Lord, take your journal into the quiet place, write down things, you know, write down things that you feel like you heard from the Lord and then find those people in your life who you would consider like your spiritual counselors or mentors or a pastor and take it to them, share it with them. Say, does your heart bear witness to this? Does this feel like it is coming from the Lord or is it, am I off? Um, We have to do that. Um, In the Old Testament, there were prophets that were trained by other prophets so like, uh, is it Samuel who was raised? Who was uh, Samuel's? Elijah. Uh, no, it was. Uh, I would go Elijah and Elisha. Yeah, Elijah and That's Elisha's where a I great. Would go with it. Yeah. Well, I was thinking about Samuel because Samuel was like eight years old, and. Wasn't it like somebody? Samuel's but Samuel. Living, Samuel's living with a priest, and and when he hears from the Lord, he thinks. That's the story. Thinks it's the priest talking. Right, so and so he goes, goes to him and says... He goes to him three times before the priest realizes, oh, wait, this must be from God. Hey, next time that <laughs> Say, happens, yes, Lord, I'm listening. Say, yeah. speak, Lord, you're serving here. Yeah. Yep. So that that's why I like that story, because Samuel had to listen, but Eli, that's who it is. Thank you, thank you. Uh, he had to learn, because he didn't know what the voice was. He just thought it was Eli talking to him, and it wasn't. Right. <laughs> and so there's times I know for me there's been times now, especially now that I've learned how to hear from the voice of the Lord a lot better than I used to I remember certain things that I felt like the Lord had said to me but at that time I didn't recognize it as the Lord I just thought it was just a weird thought that I had you know or like you know something I just had a random thought it was just a coincidence but I think the Lord's been speaking to me for a long time and because I don't know his voice and I don't understand his voice, I missed it and I disregarded it. Um, so, um, yeah, I just I, really I, I want to emphasize the importance of being taught 
and being uh, mentored in the gifts. So if you want to grow in spiritual gifts, it's not a thing of, I'm just going to go home and pray and let the Lord speak to me, and then I'm just going to do it all by myself. It is a, a thing to be practiced within the community. It is a thing where, like, uh, I was telling Monica about this guy who wrote a, a book that I really like, and one of the things before you even start going through the book, he asks, do you have spiritual mentorship? And if you don't, then don't even keep reading because it is not safe for you to practice hearing from the voice of the Lord without somebody who's farther along than you speaking into your life. That's how you safeguard yourself from uh, becoming not really a false prophet, but somebody who's seeking prophecy for the wrong reasons, right? You just get too casual with it. Yeah. And this is one way that the church has failed uh, in handling the, the gifts and stewarding the gifts is so many churches I, I've been around have said, we just let the Spirit move. And like that's totally good. I see what your heart is. But then they also don't put limits and boundaries on things that scriptures leads us to uh, put boundaries on, like two to three speaking. And I would argue part of part of the cessationist approach is seeing that and going. That's right. That's a misuse. We need to know. That's right. That. that yes, that's so a huge point. Not do it. Yeah. There there's a, a huge group of cessationists that would say, I it's not really a sin for me to disregard the gifts, so I'm just not gonna go into it because I haven't seen it done well. Yeah. And I I applaud that, you know. I, I think that's you know I, I like the heart of that. I, I don't want you to never do the gifts. I want you to pursue them, like Paul says. Um, but that's especially, too, why us as continuationists, it, we want to practice these things well um, so that we can be above reproach. And, like, if this is a God thing, if it is true, then it's going to be good and it's going to bear fruit. And uh, I would argue, like, in that stance, then, like, the sensationists are even, like, correct. Like, if they don't have, like, somebody like a mentor, you know what mm-hmm. I mean, in that regard, then like, yeah, maybe it's safe to not do that. Yeah. Because if you don't have anyone training you, that's right. then you're at risk yeah. to do it wrong. Yeah, and so that's another thing I'll say is, you know, in the, I love Magic School Bus. <laughs> I love watching Magic School Bus. I think Miss Frizzle is crazy. Um, she's a bomb. And sometimes I feel like the Holy Spirit can be like Miss Frizzle. <laughs> Because it's like a controlled chaos, in a way. Miss Frizzle is never phased by where they're at. I mean, <laughs> I don't want to get too graphic, but they were come, trying to get out of Ralphie's body at one point in time. And they had to find an exit, you know. <laughs> uh, but she, she's never phased, yeah. right? Holy Spirit is not phased if we're going to get it incorrect. You know, he's not afraid of us uh, speaking the wrong words. Really what he wants us to do is build, he wants us to get it right. And he wants us to build communities that practice the gifts in a, a responsible way. So that when people fail, that it's not a thing of like, you're a false prophet. But it's more of a thing of like, okay, you missed it, but here's how we can get better. Mm-hmm. And that's how I want our church to be. Is that we all would be like prophets where when somebody gives a prophetic word, that we can attest to it and say, yeah, that that sounds like the Lord or say mm, what you said there directly contradicts the scripture. So maybe you want to clarify or maybe you want to go back and try to see if you just missed it, you know, 
and hold people accountable, hold each other accountable in a way that's loving, um, but honest. Um, Miss Frizzle always says, uh, let's get messy, make mistakes. Is that what she says? I'm trying to remember exactly. Something about get messy and make mistakes. Think Bob Ross. And yeah, yeah. Bob happy Ross. Uh, we, we don't make mistakes. We just make happy accidents. Um, if we are humble, if we are submitted to one another and to the Lord, then we can say, okay, I might make a mistake. And I am humble enough to admit it beforehand. So, Lord, reprimand me. You know, I'm open to your teaching and your discipline. Help me get it right. And I'm not going to be afraid to mess up because I know that you being a good father will lead me in the right direction and will discipline me. Hebrews 8. Um, He's not looking for perfection. He's that's right. At your heart. Yeah. And just know you're going you're gonna to bomb. I would tell this to anybody who teaches for the first time. My first time I taught, I accidentally taught heresy. <laughs> I, I was at a... Uh, or I was in a youth group. My youth pastor was my mentor, and he was uh, he was trying to teach me how to preach, and um, he tried to give me a challenge. It, the first one, he let me preach whatever I wanted. That one was fine because that was my favorite book. It was Daniel. I preached on Daniel. It was so fun. Um, <clears throat> but then the second one, he was like, "All right, I want you to preach a message from Luke three twenty three. It's still seared into my brain because I was like, "Sick, Luke three twenty three, gospel. Let's see." And it says uh, that Jesus began his public ministry at 30 years old. I was like, bro, what did you give me? This is my verse? He's like, yeah, preach Luke. Preach that verse. And I was like, so I, I spent like two weeks trying to write a, a sermon for it. And I, I was just young. I didn't know how to write a sermon for that, you know. Uh, I didn't know what kind of liberties I could take and stuff like that. So when I taught it... Yeah, it was kind of cruel. He met, he was good. He really wasn't cruel. Uh, he was just having fun with me. Um, and but so when I taught, I taught that Jesus had to learn how to be obedient for thirty years. Um, <laughs> like my youth pastor stopped me in the middle of teaching and said, uh, "Yeah, that's actually heresy." And I was like. He was like, so Jesus didn't have to learn how to be obedient because he was 100% God, 100% man. He just was, you know. And I was like, okay. Snap, that was my whole message, man. Yeah, I was like, well, down to point eight. Uh, <laughs> you know, so anybody, when you start to walk into the gifts, you're going to mess up. You're going to miss it. That's okay. Relieve yourself of the pressure of having to get everything right because God is not a cruel taskmaster to where... If you get it wrong, he's going to come after you. He is a loving father who knows how to discipline his kids and to uh, grow his kids well. Cool? All right. I'm going to try to finish this up. Giving a prophetic word. Here we go. Here we go. Um, Before even giving a prophetic word or receiving a prophetic word, this is what you must know. That you need to be spending time alone with the Lord. You need to cultivate a relationship with Him um, so that you can learn to recognize and hear His voice. Um, you should not practice prophecy if you're not spending time alone with Him. Um, and I don't mean that as a... 
you know, I'm beating you up. I'm just saying, practice in the quiet place with him. It starts there. Um, if you can't devote yourself to spending time at his feet, then you'll struggle to even start with prophecy. There is no substitute for time at his feet. Um, and then we also have to learn how to become friends with Jesus. How to become friends with the Holy Spirit and cultivate a friendship with him. John fifteen fifteen, Jesus says, I no longer call you servants to his disciples, but I call you friends because a servant doesn't know what his master's doing, but you guys do. We are not just servants of the Lord. We are friends. Jesus calls us each friends because he's given us kind of the, the map, the layout for how, what he's going to do. And we're working with him in tandem with him. And so uh, we have to learn how to cultivate a friendship with Jesus to where it's not just, okay, I have to obey, I have to obey. But like, you know, you're walking down the street and you see somebody and the Holy Spirit's like, hey, his knee's hurting. And you're like, oh, God, why is his knee hurting? You know, you're excited to like do this together. Like, okay, you're giving the revelation and I'm just going to interpret it and work on your behalf. We're building the kingdom together. Does that make sense? All right. Um, and just, uh, I'll share this. When it comes to uh, practicing time with the Holy Spirit and practicing time with the Father, um, there's four steps to learning to hear His voice. Number one, quiet yourself. Number two, uh, fix your eyes on Jesus. Number three, pay attention to the thoughts and the impressions of your heart and your mind. And then write them down and record them. And then don't ask any questions. Just write down what you feel like you heard or you saw. And then take it to somebody who you consider a spiritual mentor in your life. That is the easiest way to do it. Um, that's scriptural too. That's Habakkuk chapter 2 verses 1 through 2. You guys can look that up on your own time. Um, but that's what Habakkuk says. Is that he, he is standing on his, on his watch waiting for the Lord to speak. He's looking for him to speak. And then as the Lord speaks, he writes down the vision. And then he uh, presents it to the people, right? So um, we can talk about that more in another, another day because we could probably teach a whole series on becoming friends with the Lord. Um, so how do we get a prophetic word? So first, it, it, it starts with divine revelation. So you can ask for the Lord to reveal something. But if he doesn't reveal something, you have nothing. That's okay. Don't make anything up. Don't feel the pressure. Your, your prayer, just of your own heart, outside of like a prophetic word, is just as powerful. You know, Maybe not just as powerful, but don't neglect just praying your own prayer. You know, If the Lord doesn't give you a word, maybe it's not for you to give a word. Maybe there's another person in the room who's supposed to get it. Okay? Um, so, if you do get a word... If you do get an impression, start to ask questions. I've seen a lot of people, and even myself, just stop at the first mention of something. So, like, the Lord gives you a, uh, a word that uh, somebody in the room is feeling sad. You, you can get a strong impression that that's what the Lord's speaking. And I go, okay, uh, I felt like the Lord just said somebody in the room's feeling sad. Who does that help? We could probably all say, yep, been there, done that. You know, it's, it, it's a very generalized word. So, okay, Lord, sadness. Well, what is the sadness rooted in? Oh, good question. 
they're feeling extremely lonely. Okay, loneliness. That's the sadness you're feeling. Why are they lonely? They, there's an abandonment issue that you know they're experiencing. Uh, it's rooted deeper than just friends, but it's, it's from their, their relationship with their father. Now you just narrowed this massive word down to something that can be applicable to one person. And sometimes the Lord will even give you something of like, there's a person here wearing uh, yellow pants, you know, uh, and, <laughs> you know, obviously, obviously in a, a room like this, it's not as powerful because, you know. Back in 2007, it would have been. Yeah, right. Now if you said black pants. Yeah, right. Yeah. Oh, that that stuff I I've seen happen a lot in bigger groups where it's impossible to see every person in the room, yeah. and yellow pants is out there, you know, or you've got yellow pants and uh, or you live a mullet, on Road. right? You like live on Rolling Way Road, you know. Some I see the numbers one two three zero, and like that's your address or something. I don't know. It's like the day when Ronnie was preaching at uh, Lux. And we were there, and he had a, he got a feeling that somebody in the room had a toothache uh-huh. in a specific place in your mouth. And there was a lady that was like, oh, I have a toothache. And it was in, it was on the opposite side of the mouth. But then after Cam and I walked up and we were like, that's probably for us, because we both have tooth pain on, <laughs> on the same side. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Yep. So, uh... It's okay to, you know, when you're first learning to give the general word, but I want to teach everybody to ask questions. And this is where cultivating that relationship with the Lord comes in handy because if you don't have a relationship with him and you don't have any confidence that he'll speak after you ask a question, then you're not going to ask questions. And so we have to cultivate that relationship to where we have confidence that he will speak when we're listening and when we ask questions. Um. So, uh, yeah, prophecy often reveals the secret hearts of men. And so push into that. Not every time, like I think Dick was saying this earlier, not every time is it going to be this massive word of like, you know, you, you wear your shoes on the opposite feet because that's what makes you most comfortable and nobody knows except for you. And you're like, oh, that's not always what the word's going to be like, you know. But sometimes it is. And <laughs> Nobody knows. So when giving a word, I, would, I want us to practice the vernacular of I'm getting a strong impression from the Lord that. Or I have a feeling that the Lord is speaking this to you. Or uh, I think that this is what the Lord would say to you in this moment. Um, and avoiding phrases like thus saith the Lord or you must slash have to slash need to do ABC. Um, because um, we prophesy in part. We have to know our own limits. If Scripture tells us we prophesy in part, you know, we can have confidence that we heard from the Lord, but we can't have confidence that we heard perfectly. You know, that we're infallible. We are fallible people. We are prone to wander. Lord, I feel it. Way to boost our confidence. Huh? Way to boost our confidence. Well, I'm, I'm helping you. I'm taking the pressure off Keeping of you. Keeping you humble, bro. It's probably safe to say, don't say, let's say the Lord, unless it's a particular passage. Unless you're reading scripture. Right, right. You know, thus saith the Lord. And, you know, if you're reading scripture, that's different, you know. Uh, 
So this is what, one of the things that I would say with like the continuationist versus cessationist arguments. Uh, one of the things that cessationists talk about is that um, <clears throat> we shouldn't have... There, there's no need for prophecy because there's a closed canon, meaning there's the books of the Bible are set and there's no more that are going to be added to it. It's done. This is, this is God's word and the, it's finished here, right? It, this is the perfect. Um, so they would say that uh, prophecy, the practice of prophecy today, uh, since it is a divine revelation from the Lord, that uh, we shouldn't be giving these words to people that can be held on the same status as Scripture. But that's a misunderstanding of how continuationists practice the gifts, or the majority of continuationists. Because if I'm given a prophetic word, or anybody's given a prophetic word in this church, we're not holding that as Scripture. We're holding it to the Scripture. We're taking it by the neck and saying, Are you Scripture? (laughs) You know, like, Who are you really? Uh, when, when I was studying this in college, we, we tried to make a really big distinction. Because I went to a school that was mostly cessationist. Yeah. We tried to make a really big distinction between big P, which is right. scripture, right. and adding to scripture, and little P, the canon, the canon and so forth. Yeah. And small P, yeah. which is the more specific word. Yeah. 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 So, uh, prophecy is not held on the same level of scripture. So when you're testing scripture, you hold it, or testing prophecy, you hold it to scripture. If somebody gives you a prophetic word that uh, the Lord is saying to you that you don't need to submit to your husband, you know, because like, or you, you as a husband don't need to submit to your wife, you know, either way, that goes against scripture. That's unbiblical. That is not a word from the Lord, you know. Um, so that's exactly right. Acts, what is that? Uh, is it 20? I can't remember where it's at. I don't know. It should be like the Bereans. There's a group of people called the Bereans in the book of Acts where Paul would teach and they would write down everything that he said and then they would take it back to the scriptures to test that it was actually scriptural. So they didn't just take Paul's word for it, which is hilarious because Paul's, you know, the next best thing we got from Jesus. He was pretty credible. Yeah, he was pretty credible and they were still like, nope. Not going to believe it. He's a fallible man taking it to scripture. Yeah. That's how we practice with prophecy. And he's like, yes, do that. Yeah. Be like them. Yeah. Um, so uh, here's another thing. When giving a prophetic word, try not to ramble. Okay? Uh, so many times I've seen people get a word from the Lord and they start to give the word and they give the initial word, but then they keep going. It's like they try to Right, they try to over-explain it. And by that point, you're losing, uh, you're starting to veer off. And uh, oftentimes I think the word is kind of short and and concise. um, And you're supposed to allow the hearer to uh, have time to uh, figure it out, out, exactly, to test it themselves. Um, So... Yeah, try not to ramble. If you feel yourself rambling, just say, I've gone too long. Let me just reiterate the initial thing that I said. Focus on that. You know, it's the same thing, too, like I was talking about with the fire tunnel when I had like eight people prophesy over me. If you keep going, it's like, okay, the initial word is this I need to spend more time in the quiet place, right? And then the, the person keeps going and going and going. There's like eight things added on to this initial word. So, which one's the word? Is it all of it? Is it just this part? Is it 
uh, do I need? So it, it can just become confusing and lose power um, as it's rambled about, right? Well, one of the things that, like, uh, so, like, the idea of prophecy is, like, an extension of prayer. Mm-hmm. And so, like, when Jesus is talking in the Gospel about the Sermon on the Mount, he specifically addresses prayer. Mm-hmm. It says, do not ramble like um, the Pharisees do. Right, um, right. So, like, again, yeah, yeah. Well, and yeah. also, if, if it's no longer God, if it's you, like, not only are you have the potential to miss the mark, but, like, <laughs> what God meant to me yeah. might be different than what you think of when you hear the word. That's right. So, like, right. I could be going through something completely on, in left field that, you know, nobody has any idea of knowing about, and you speak right. a word in my life yeah. that was really meaningful to me, but you're yeah. like, oh, well, I think this means this, that, and the other, and I'm like, well, actually, it applies to hear to the same yoga idea about. Yeah. 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 At its baseline, it it takes away from the Holy Spirit's work. Right. Which the Holy Spirit's meant to work in helping as you're giving the interpretation to uh, the Holy Spirit will go to the hearer and start to help them interpret it for themselves and contextualize it for themselves. So yeah. Jesus was a master at giving short, effective commandments and statements <laughs> and things that people have discussed for thousands of years. Um, yeah, and then at the, at the end of it, I've already said this, but know that you're going to get it wrong at some point. So take the pressure off yourself. Fal- a false prophet is not someone who gets it wrong. A false prophet is someone who uh, prophesies and leads people to themselves or to other gods rather than leads people to God. Because the basis of prophecy is pointing people to God, to Yahweh, right? It's you sharing that the Lord sees this person, and he sees all these things in these ways, right? So, just know, you're going to get it wrong. Take the pressure off yourself. You're not going to be a false prophet. Somebody labels you a false prophet, you know, they'll have to answer to the Lord. Unless you're leading people to yourself. Anyway. How do you receive a prophetic word? This is a large responsibility on the shoulders of people. Uh, sorry, there is a large responsibility on the shoulders of a person receiving a prophetic word. Um, I've got two scriptures. Somebody want to read one? First John, chapter 4. John. He's not here today. First John. And the other one Yep, chapter 4, verses 1 through 6. Dear friends, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. This is how you can recognize the spirit of God. Every spirit that acknowledges that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is from God. But every spirit that does not acknowledge Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard is coming, and even now is already in the world. You, dear children, are from God and have overcome them, because the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. They are not from the world, and therefore speak from the viewpoint of the world, and the world listens to them. We are from God, and whoever knows God listens to us, but whoever is not from God does not listen to us. This is how we recognize the spirit of truth and 
this beautiful city. Cool. And then the other scripture I have is First Thessalonians chapter five, verse nineteen through twenty-two, and I'll read that. It says, "Do not quench the spirit, do not despise prophecies, but test everything, and then hold fast to what is good, and abstain from every form of evil." So, the Bible gives us strict information on don't despise prophecy. Just because people get it wrong, you shouldn't despise it. But it says to test it and to take away that which is good, that which is right and biblical, and avoid anything that has the appearance of evil. So, when it comes to prophecy and receiving words, here's my encouragement to everyone. Write it down. If you get a prophetic word, write it down. Even if it feels small, or if you, in the moment you go, that's eh, probably the Lord. We should write all those things down because what we can do is a year later come back to our journals where we've written down these words and recorded what the Lord's done and we can test it against the test of time. Did the Lord show up in this way? You know, I had a word that was given to me when I was a teenager that made no sense at the time. It made no sense. Uh, the word was something about me being a, a spiritual firefighter and... Uh, they saw me like going into these big spiritual fires per se and like grabbing people and bringing them out of spiritual fires I had no idea what that meant I was like 17 you know and so uh, that word really didn't do much for me at the time um, but I wrote it down I kept it in the back of my head and like years later I don't know how many years later it was but I started going to a church in uh, Williamsburg and even outside of church, I was kind of ministering to people. Um, but it was a Saturday night church. So we had a lot of people who were hurt by church coming to that church. And um, I just kept finding people who had been hurt by the church and all this stuff. And I started to minister to them. And, like, there was a lot of people that I was able to... Uh, this isn't me tooting my own horn or anything. But the Lord gave me the platform to speak into their lives of, like, yeah, church hurt sucks. Like, I've been there. I've been a part of it. Uh, but that doesn't mean that God's wrong or that God's not real. It just means people misused it. And so I got to, like, help lead people back to the Father. And that's when that word came back of, like, oh, spiritual firefighter. You know, that's crazy. That's such a good word. And it's crazy, too, because the church I got all the church heard from, that's who prophesied over <laughs> You know? It, it's The Lord has such a sense of humor you know what I mean? and uh, But if I hadn't written that down, I wouldn't have the encouragement that I have today. The, the, uh, the edification that comes from that. Now I see that the Lord's been instilling this in me for a long time. That, you know, he, had, he, he put me in a situation where there was probably going to be some hurt. But it wasn't for not. It was so that I would be edified and built up so that I could do the work of ministry in a certain way, right? So write it down, record it, and then hold, keep it accountable. If you do this, I guarantee you, you're going to have so much faith in the Lord because you're going to see the faithfulness that comes. It's called building history with God. It's all throughout the Old Testament where the Jewish people raised up an Ebenezer, built up a tower of stones, uh, just to look back on and remember how God was faithful. The way when we write down the words that the Lord gives us, or even the words that we get in the, our, the quiet place, if we can write those down and look back at them and confirm whether they were true or false, it'll build our confidence in hearing from the Lord and our ability. Cool? 
So, in all these things, I just, I want us to recognize that this is a journey. This is not a one and done type of thing. And we're going to open up a lot more opportunities here at Maranatha to prophesy and practice it. Um, I'm thinking about asking Ron to come and help lead us through some of the prophecy exercises that he has. Um, so that we can grow in effectiveness of prophecy. Because what is our goal in all this? We want to edify the body, right? We want to edify the church and love one another well and be mature. But two, prophecy is also for unbelievers. And we're talking about discipleship side by side with our teachings on the spiritual gifts. And man, we live in a culture where it is really hard to just take the Bible to somebody who's an unbeliever and say, yeah, this is true. You know, but the the Holy Spirit is kind of our 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 in where, and if the Holy Spirit speaks a word of knowledge or a word of wisdom to us about a certain person and reveals the secrets in that person's heart, it can uh, it can convince that person of the reality of God before we even open up Scripture. There's such power to the gift of prophecy, so um, I want us all to practice this. Um, that's pretty much all I got for today that was a long one but that's okay Um, I'm going to pray and then uh, we'll just see what happens Father I just we love you we honor you we thank you for the gift of prophecy we thank you for the spiritual gifts I just pray that you would uh, teach us how to treat the gifts like Paul would want us to treat the gifts that we would earnestly desire the gifts um, that we would burn with zeal for them Um, but mostly that we would prophesy and that you would grow us in our ability to hear from you um, and that ultimately that this teaching would just push each one of us into a deeper desire to have relationship and friendship with you. Um, So I just thank you for each person here. I just thank you for the word that you would help it to grow in each person's heart. And uh, yeah, we love you and we bless you. In Jesus' name, everybody said... Amen. Thanks for listening, everybody. We hope you have been blessed by today's teaching. And as always, Maranatha, come Lord Jesus.